Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. Well, I know what you're thinking this morning. And I promise you, Tommy is doing just fine. He's not sick. He's not at the ER this morning. He's doing fine. Tommy's just sad. He's not here because Georgia lost that game last night. And he could not face y'all and stand here and preach this morning. Tommy was going on a wedding retreat this weekend. And uh, so it, it was the plan to be here. I've known for several weeks. I'm glad to be here with you today. If you don't know me, my name is Logan Cato. I'm the pastor of missions and discipleship here at Northwood. And we're really glad you're here. If if this is your first time, welcome to Northwood. If you're joining us online, we're really glad that you are doing that this morning. We are going to continue our series through the gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 43, that's Luke 18, 31 through 43. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible under the seat in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, please take that Bible home as our gift to you and begin reading about the God that loves you. While you're turning there, I want you to think about this question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you wanted one thing, but you needed something else? Has there ever been a time where you wanted one thing, but you actually needed something else. Several years ago, I got to go with one of my very good friends on a mission trip to India. Now, I had been to India several times before. We had some IMB partners there who were really good friends of ours, and the week was great. We had a lot of really good ministry, and and when it was time for us to go home, the town we were in was about a four-hour ride from New Delhi that we were flying out of. We were flying out on a Sunday, and my IMB friend forgot that the train does not run on Sunday, so we could not catch the train from where he lived to New Delhi. And my friend, even though he loved me, he was not going to drive us to the airport himself. So what did he do? He called an Uber driver. (laughs) That's right, an Indian Uber driver. And this guy shows up, and he was like, it'll be fine, I promise. And so this guy shows up, and the driver gets there, and he speaks zero English. Me and my friend speak zero Hindi. And so my buddy tells the driver, he says, hey, you need to get them to the airport. And away we go. So first 45 minutes to an hour of the trip was going pretty well. And then we got about an hour in and the driver turns around and looks at me and he starts doing this and rubbing his stomach. He, he was hungry. 
And so I figured that we were going to, you know, stop at like the Indian QT or the Indian Sphinx or maybe even like the Indian version of Bucky's. And what we stopped at was well beyond any of those versions. We stopped at like a mall that was on the side of a highway, this massive restaurant. We get in this huge parking lot and away he goes. He turned around and he said, five minutes. And I said, five minutes. We were on a time crunch. I needed to get to the airport. So me and my buddy are sitting in the back of the car and well, five minutes goes by, 10 minutes goes by, 15 minutes goes by and we start talking and we're like, you think we should try to go find them? Well, because I'm the experienced international traveler, that was my job. So I get out of the car and I go to this massive establishment and I stick out like a sore thumb. Everybody's just staring at me like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I don't know. And so I'm walking around and I'm trying to find this guy and I'm going through rooms. I'm just walking past people's tables and I turn the corner and there he sits. He's got a five course spread right in front of him and he has not made a dent in it yet. So I go up to him and I tried to be respectful and I I said, five minutes. So he looked me dead in my face and he said, five minutes. So I walk back to the car and I go sit there and I said, okay, we're going to wait for five more minutes. And we wait for five minutes, 10 minutes goes by, 15 minutes goes by. And I'm like, at this rate, we're never going to get to the airport and that's where I need to be. So I go back into the restaurant and I'm pretty fired up and I shouldn't really do this, but I need to get home and I need to get to the airport. And so I go in and I turn the corner and there he sits looking at his phone, still just eating. And so I lose my mind. Now, good missionaries don't do this, right? So I start yelling at him. I said, hey, we've got to get to the airport. You said five minutes. That was 30 minutes ago. We're going to be late if we don't make this. And the whole restaurant's staring at me. Well, he didn't understand any English, but he got the point. And so he jumps up. He throws money on the table. And we literally run out to the car. We get in the car, so we're zooming down the highway. He is like passing everybody that we can possibly pass. Well, I fall asleep, right? We're on the way. I wake up and I look at my buddy and he is gripping the seat and he's gripping the door. He's pale white. I'm like, what's wrong? He points to the driver. He's dozing in and out of sleep. We're swerving all over the road. We're like barely missing cars that are coming onto traffic and and I need to get to the airport. Like I need to get home. I don't want to die here on this road in India. That does not count for martyrdom if that's how it happens. I need to get home. And so I want to hit him. And that's exactly what I did. I hit him. I said, wake up. He pops up. And so for the next 45 minutes, we're just trying to keep this guy awake. And so eventually he's like, okay, I'm going to stop for tea. And I was like, five minutes. (laughs) And so he gets out. And while he's doing that, I said, let me hold your phone. So I called my buddy on the phone. And I said, Joel, what have you done? This, This driver, he's about to get us killed. He said, let me talk to him. So he talks to him. He just starts yelling at him. He says, you don't kill my friends. You get my friends to the airport. I paid you money. You don't kill them. And then Joel asked me, he's like, Logan, do you think you could drive the rest of the way? I don't know where we are. It's nighttime. We're in India. I've got no clue how to get to the airport. Yes, I did want to drive to the airport, but the driver gets back in. And for the rest of the ride, what should have taken us four hours took us eight hours. We get to the thing like 10 minutes before the gates close and we get on the flight. I wanted to yell at him, I did that. I wanted to hit him, I did that. I wanted to drive the car, I didn't, I didn't do that. But what I needed was for him 
to get us to the airport because I wanted to go home. And if you think about it, we often want things that we don't need, and the things that we need, we don't actually want. See, in that story, I needed him. He was my only hope to get me to the airport that night. And so often in our lives, for less serious consequences, maybe some more serious consequences, we confuse the things we need with the things that we want, and it's really hard because of sin to bring our wants and needs into alignment that's in accordance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at a story from Luke 18 this morning that's going to help us understand how, through Jesus, we can bring our wants into alignment with our needs. And I'm going to show you two truths from this text this morning that will help us understand that seeing Jesus rightly allows what we need to become what we want. Seeing Jesus rightly allows what we need to become what we want. So, if you've made it to Luke 18, if you would rise as we honor the reading of God's word together, we are going to read verses 35 through 43. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. When he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you. We are so thankful for Christ. We're so thankful for your spirit and the gift of the gospel, God. I pray that this morning that I would speak in accordance with who you are and what you've done in your word. I pray that I would speak truth. I pray that we would be challenged and encouraged by the message this morning. I pray for the believers that we would see that Jesus is what we want and what we need. I pray for anybody here this morning who's not a follower of Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that your spirit would move, God, as we seek to follow you in holiness, to seek to be on your mission. And I pray for those who are not following Jesus today, that today would be the day of salvation for them. We love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So before we jump into our text this morning, we need to get our context down to make sure we understand where we're at. Now, I have never had it be the case that I've gotten up on a Sunday morning and the preacher the week before, that would be Tommy, preached the entire context of my passage. He preached the before part of my passage, he preached the after part of my passage, and now I've got the sandwich that's left in between, but we do need to get our context down this morning. Luke is writing this gospel. Luke is a Gentile. That means he was not Jewish. He did not grow up with the promises of God. He did not grow up with the covenants, and someone shared the gospel with him, and he came to faith. He realized that Jesus Christ as Messiah was good news for him by the help of the Spirit. He is writing primarily to Gentiles who are in the same boat. And Luke wants his audience to know that Jesus Christ as Messiah is not just good news for the Jews. It's good news for everybody that comes from Adam. And he is telling them to place their faith in him. And throughout his book, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. We see his care for the orphan, the widow, the sick, the diseased, and those who are far from God. 
Now, if you remember all the way back to Luke chapter four, when Jesus started his ministry, he stood up in the synagogue and he took a scroll from, and he read from Isaiah 61 verses one and two. And he said that the Lord's anointed one is here. He's come to preach the good, no, good news to the poor. He's come to liberate those who are captive. He's come to give sight to the blind and liberate those who are oppressed. And this is the year of the Lord. And Jesus tells them in that moment that that has been fulfilled within his person and in his work. And we see an example today from a story where Jesus literally gives back someone his sight who had been blind. Now, as we think about the sermon from last week, the, the passage that came prior to this, the, the rich young ruler, what did he want? He wanted eternal life, but what does Jesus tell him he needs to do to get it? Sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and that's not what he wanted to do. And so he left very sad. His wants and needs were not in alignment. We also have the story on the back end of this text of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, he knew he was a sinner. He knew he was far from God. And he realized by the help of the Spirit that Jesus Christ is both what he wanted and what he needed. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to your house. And that sets the stage for where we're at in the text this morning. So if you will pick up with me in verse 31. In taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Let's stop right there. The 12 disciples are with him and Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem because he knows the work that he has to accomplish there. And, and he tells them to see. Now you think about all the things that the disciples have seen at this point. They have seen the mighty works of Jesus. They've seen him have control over creation and calm the wind and the waves. They've seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration in his glory. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him do miracles. And now Jesus is asking them to see what's about to take place at Jerusalem as they head there. And he says that the Son of Man has to accomplish all that the prophets wrote about him. Now, we have talked about this before, but this son of man language is very important for us to understand how Jesus views himself. This is his favorite term to use about himself. It's the favorite way to refer to himself. And it's referencing back to Daniel chapter seven, verses nine through 14. Jesus understands himself as the fulfillment of those promises. And in Daniel chapter seven, verses nine through 14, Daniel has a vision and he sees the throne room of God. The ancient of days is seated on the throne and one comes to him like a son of man. And this son of man is worthy. He's worthy to receive a kingdom and dominion and honor so that all peoples, nations, and languages would worship him and be in relationship with him and he would rule in righteousness. That's how Jesus views himself. But Jesus realizes that if that's going to come to fruition, there's a work that he has to do in Jerusalem. What is that work? Verses 32 and 33. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And this is the third time that Jesus has told his disciples that he has to die. But the disciples do not want to hear this. The disciples do not want to hear this information, but Jesus knows what's going to take place in Jerusalem is that he's going to be mocked, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be spit upon, and it's going to happen at the hands of those dirty Gentiles. 
And ultimately, they're going to put him to death. But the hope in this is that three days later, he is going to pick that body up and walk out of that grave raised from the dead. Look how the disciples respond. Verse 34, but they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. They could not understand. They didn't understand. They couldn't grasp it. And the text tells us it's because it was hidden from them. The Spirit of God had not yet revealed these things to them about Jesus. So they're, they're left confused. Although they can see physically, spiritually they're blind. They can see physically, but spiritually they're blind. This leads us to the first truth from the text this morning. You want what you don't need. You and I want what we don't need. See, the disciples in this text had two major problems. The first was that they did not trust the work of God. Jesus said that the prophets had written about all these things and so they should have known, but they did not trust the work of God. They certainly did not think that God and all of his promise and all of his covenants with temple and land and presence and hope and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation was going to come through someone dying for them. See, Jesus was not the Messiah they wanted, but he was the Messiah that they needed. The disciples had a second major problem. They were giving in to the desires of their flesh. I think it's easy for us to read through the Gospels and take the humanity out of them. The disciples loved Jesus. They spent all of their time with him, and they certainly do not want to hear this message that these Gentiles are going to beat him and mock him and flog him and kill him. They didn't trust in the work of God. They gave in to the desires of the flesh. And if you think about it, we're just like the disciples in a lot of ways. See, the disciples, their needs and their wants were not in alignment with one another. They wanted the kingdom to come in a different way, and they wanted a different Messiah, but Jesus is what they needed. And we sit in the room, and so often the things that we need are in conflict with the things that we want. And it's hard for us because we're sinners as well, and we're in this body of flesh for those to come into alignment. See, we want to have success in this life, and we want to build up that 401k so we can have a nice life later. But what we need to realize is that success is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and him alone. And your success is nothing but your faithfulness to him. What we want is to retire and live a cush life and enjoy all that the world has to offer in our last days. What we need is to realize that we have the time and resources to serve the church and serve on the mission of God for his glory. What we want is in our marriages for our husband or our wife to just serve us and take, cater to our wants and our needs and our desires. What we need to realize is that we've been put in that marriage as a reflection of the gospel to love and to serve and give ourselves up for one another. Marriage can be really hard sometimes, and what we might want is to turn our back on that and seek a divorce. What we need is to remember that the gospel says that Jesus will never leave his bride behind. What we want is to find sexual fulfillment outside of the context of marriage, whether that's with a computer screen or if that's with another person. What we need to remember is that that only makes sense in the context of marriage. 
You're a college student in this room. What you want is to graduate and get a good job and move back to your family so that you can have a nice life. What you need is to consider where would God have you serve on his mission? And that might be in a really difficult spot, but that is what you need. If you're a student in this room, what you want is to look at your friends and look at the world and see how they think and they act and they live. What you need is the promise that living in God's kingdom is the best way to live. That's what is gonna lead to your life and your happiness and your success. Maybe you're childless in this room and all you want is for God to just give you a child. What you need to remember, according to the gospel, is that he is good to you, he has loved you, he's brought you into his family and he is all you need. Maybe you're sitting in this room this morning and what you want is for your presidential candidate to get elected so that we can either take this country back to something it once was or take it somewhere it's not been yet. What you need is to remember that Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. We're citizens of his kingdom and we are living in his kingdom right now as exiles who are waiting to go home. If you're a believer in this room, what you want to do is think, man, I've really just got to work hard for God to love me. Like I know the grace thing and I know Jesus, but I've got to check all my boxes so that God would love me. What you need to remember is that Jesus Christ has done the work that you and I could not do. And your righteousness is found in him and him alone. If you're a non-believer in this room, what you want is to be loved and to be known. And you've been looking for it in all the wrong places. And when you lay your head down at night, you feel alone. What you need is the one who has done the work for you to be in a relationship with you because I promise you were created to know and love Jesus and that is what you want and what you need. But because of sin, we get that alignment out of whack. And so... We live our lives with these conflicts all the time. Because just like the disciples, we are prone not to trust in the work of God. So this morning, as we fight the fact that we want what we don't need, we need to trust in the work of God. We need to understand that his plan is bigger than we can possibly see. Now, he's given it, to, given it to us in his word what the end is going to look like. New creation is coming. But that can be really hard in the day-to-day of our lives where we're struggling with sickness and death and sin and shame and relationships are hard to trust that his plan is going to work out. According to his word and the fact that Jesus walked out of that grave, you can trust that his plan is good. Far more than we could ever understand. His work is better than we'll ever know. Right, we're still in this body of death and so we're prone to doubt the work of God. Does he really love me? Is he really gracious to me? Will he really forgive me after I sin? Time and time and time again as we come back to the gospel, the answer is a yes in Jesus Christ. And he is more faithful than you and I could ever imagine. On your best day and on your worst day, he loves you. And when he looks at you, he sees Jesus standing in your place if you have faith in him. We have to trust in the work of God because our flesh is going to cause us not to want to do that. We have to trust in the work of God. We've also got to fight the desires of the flesh. 
We've got to fight the desires of the flesh. The disciples were struggling with their fleshly desires, and you and I so often struggle with our fleshly desires. So what do we do? We have to remember the gospel. See, the gospel says that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you've been brought from death to life. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're alive in him. Your spirit is made new, and you're alive in Jesus, and it's really good news, but we realize that we're still stuck in this body of death and flesh. But he has given us his spirit to transform us into the image of his son day by day. But he has also at the same time called us to be faithful to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because that's how we're going to fight the desires of the flesh is not to run to sin, but to run from sin and run toward holiness. How do we do that? We pursue the spiritual disciplines. We pursue the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are a means of God's grace to us to allow what we want to come into alignment with what we need. You know you need to read the Bible, you just don't want to. But God is faithful to you so that the more you discipline yourself toward that, the more he allows you to want to do that thing. You know you need to pray, you just don't want to. But the more you will discipline yourself toward that thing, the spirit is faithful to allow what you want to become what you need. We could do the same thing with evangelism and fasting and worship and community, right? The spiritual disciplines allow our wants to come into alignment with our needs as we run from sin and we have to run toward holiness. Over the past year, I've very much dedicated myself to memorizing God's word. And it's been incredible how much the Spirit has blessed that in my life. And I do that as I'm riding to work in my car and as I'm riding home. I'm just storing up God's Word in my heart so that I might not sin against Him. Now, what I want to do when I get in that car is turn my sports podcast on. Or what I want to do is turn some music on. And none of those are bad things. But what I need is that in every minute and hour of my life, I need to commune with him. And the Spirit has blessed that so faithfully in my gospel conversations, in my discipleship, in my teaching, in my preaching, as I'm running from sin and running toward holiness in my relationships, he has honored that so that when I get in that car, the thing I now want is the thing I now need, and that is Jesus. We've got to fight the desires of the flesh. And we do that individually, but we also fight the desires of the flesh with the family of faith. So yes, we pursue the spiritual disciplines individually. We also do that corporately. And I imagine that there's many people in this room this morning and you showed up just struggling. And you would admit that, yeah, Logan, my needs and wants are often not in in alignment with one another. But we come together as the family of faith around the word of God to sing praises to him, to pray together, to encourage one another and push one another forward in holiness and humility, to bear one another's burdens. He's given us the body of Christ to be able to fight the desires of the flesh and move toward holiness. So my question would be, are you trusting in the work of God? Are you trusting in the work of God and are you fighting the desires of the flesh? Pick up with me as we transition into verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Let's stop right there. So Jesus and the disciples, they are making their way 
to Jerusalem and they have to pass through Jericho. Now, Jericho is a very important city. It was a major trade route in Israel at the time, and it was one of three places, Caesarea and Capernaum being the other two, where there would be tax collection booths set up, which makes sense of the story of Zacchaeus that he was in Jericho because so many people were passing through. They would collect taxes there. It was a road that was very heavily traveled, and there's a blind man sitting there. And what's the blind man doing? He's begging because he literally cannot do anything else. He has to beg for his survival, and he's trusting that people are going to give him alms and give him charity for his survival. Now, we have companion pieces to this story in Matthew and Mark. In Mark 10, 46 through 52, Mark tells us that this blind man's name is Bartimaeus. So Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, is sitting on this roadside, and he is begging. We don't know how long he's been blind. Maybe he was born blind. Maybe he acquired blindness through some infection or sickness. But we do know that he's blind. Verse 36, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So while Bartimaeus is blind, he can hear. And while Bartimaeus is blind, he can speak. And so he's sitting there and he's begging for alms and he hears a commotion happening. And so he asks the logical question, what's going on? And the crowd tells him that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, it is very likely that Bartimaeus had heard of Jesus of Nazareth. Word was spreading all over Israel about the things that he was doing. So he had probably heard of Jesus of Nazareth. Here's how he responds, verse 38. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. See, it is very interesting in this text that although Bartimaeus is blind, the Spirit of God has opened up his eyes to see who Jesus is. See, the crowd, when he asked the question, who's passing by? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. You know, that guy from that hometown, Mary and Joseph's son, who's been doing a lot of really cool stuff, but it's Jesus of Nazareth. And although he's physically blind, the Spirit has opened up his eyes to see exactly who this is. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That is a messianic claim that he's crying out. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 4 through 17. God promises David. He says that there will be a forever king to come sit on a forever throne and rule and reign in righteousness and holiness. And though Bartimaeus is blind, though he's never seen Jesus physically, he knows in this moment that that's that king who has the ability to be merciful and compassionate with him. And so he cries out. And the crowd They tell him literally, hey, you shut up. Jesus wants nothing to do with you. You need nothing to do with him. Be silent. And he's indignant and he cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me because he knows that this one has that ability. Verse 40. And Jesus stopped. And commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. See, Jesus is not worried about the disciples. He's not worried about the crowd because Jesus can see very clearly. He knows why he has walked down this road. 
today. He hears the messianic cry, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, and he is more than willing to respond. He knows that the only way Bartimaeus would have known that if God is, God is the one that's opened his eyes to it. And so he stops, he says, bring him to me. And he asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And you think about Bartimaeus, we don't know how long he's been blind, but every single night he lays down, there is darkness. And every single morning he wakes up, there is darkness, and he can't see, and he's dependent on people. And so he gives the obvious response. And I love what the CSB says here. Lord, he said, I want to see, because of course you do. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. Jesus already knows. See, Jesus knows both what Bartimaeus wanted and what he needed. In this instance, Bartimaeus understands that he needs Jesus, the son of David, to have mercy on him. And Jesus is more than willing to comply because he understands that it is his faith that has made him spiritually well. So here is your sight back. And you imagine how incredible that would be for Bartimaeus. His, potentially his whole life, he's never seen his family. He's never seen his friends. The, sea of Ga- the Dead Sea is 10 miles away. Jerusalem's 15 miles away. If you've ever been to Jerusalem or Israel, I've been to Jericho, I've been to Jerusalem, I've been to the Dead Sea, it is beautiful. Moreover, Bartimaeus has never been able to see the temple where he could actually witness and encounter the presence of God. So it would make sense that if he wanted to go see all the sights of God's creation and see the temple and see his family and see his friends. Look at how he responds in verse 43. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Because Bartimaeus understand that what he needed was Jesus. When he actually got his physical sight back, Jesus was all he wanted. And Bartimaeus realized that he didn't need to go to temple to find God because God is standing in front of him in a person. And he wanted to follow Jesus. And he praises God and he gives glory to God and all the people around give glory to God for this. Now, this is an incredible story. As we think about the second truth from this text, we need, you need to see Jesus rightly. You need to see Jesus rightly. See, there's a lot of people in this text that do not see Jesus rightly. The disciples, the 12 of them, they don't see Jesus rightly. Although they had been in close proximity to Jesus, they were physically able to see him. Spiritually, they were blind to what he was doing. The crowds, although they've heard about the miracles and seen all that he's done, they just see him as Jesus of Nazareth. The disciples can't see him as the son of man. The crowds can't see him as the son of God. And it is Bartimaeus in this text that sees him as the son of David, the one who is able to see him. See, I fear in this room that there are some misconceptions of Jesus. We like the Jesus of the Bible. We like the miracle worker. We like the good teachings. We like that he makes our lives a little bit better. But I'm concerned that we don't see him rightly as the one as we celebrate this Advent season who came down in our humanity to take on our human flesh, to be one of us and live the life that you and I could not live. 
Everywhere that you and I get it wrong, we miss the mark, we sin, Jesus got it right. And he goes to a cross and he dies a death that you and I deserve. That should have been us up there. That should be us taking the wrath of God and we deserve eternal punishment for that. And he took it for us. He was buried. He walked out of that grave three days later. He ascended into heaven and he promised that he is returning one day to make all of this new. He is the son of man who is seated on the throne and he is bringing the nations in to worship in his kingdom. He is the son of David who's the forever king and a really, really good one. And he's the son of God standing in our place for our sin. And he has offered every single person that would come to him relationship and life if you would come to him by faith. If you would turn and repent of your sins and follow Jesus then how should our response be but anything other than what Bartimaeus does? Because if what you want is a good marriage and what you want is good parenting and what you want is for your children to be successful and good finances and a good life, what you need is a proper perspective of Jesus. So to the believer in the room, are you seeing Jesus rightly? And to the non-believer in the room, the good news of the gospel is open to you. But we need to see Jesus rightly. As we see Jesus rightly, we need to see, see your need for Jesus. So as we see Jesus rightly, see your need for Jesus. To the believer in the room, we need him. And we have one or two errors that we're prone to make. Either we really like the good news of the gospel, so we're just going to walk and take advantage of grace and unholiness and ungodliness, or on the other side of that, we're so concerned that God's not going to love us that we just try to work really hard to earn it. If you're in Christ in this room, when God looks at you, he sees his son standing in your place, and he could not love you any more than he does. And if we're seeing Jesus rightly, we see ourselves and realize that, yes, we're broken, but in Christ, we're brand new. We've been made clean to be in relationship with him. To the non-believer in the room, are you like the disciples? Have you heard the gospel hundreds of times, possibly? Have you been in close proximity with Jesus, in close proximity with his people, but you don't see him Rightly, or are you like Bartimaeus and maybe you just wandered in this room for some reason and today you're sitting on the roadside begging and he just happens to be passing you by? My call to you, my plea to you would be to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who stands in your place because he is both what you want and what you need. We also see those around you who need Jesus. We need to see those around you who need Jesus. See, this story is interesting because Bartimaeus, the blind beggar who had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, he's the only one who sees Jesus correctly in this story. But on the flip side of that, Jesus, God in human flesh, he's the only one who sees Bartimaeus correctly. The disciples want nothing to do with Bartimaeus. The crowds want nothing to do with Bartimaeus, and Jesus wants everything to do with those who would come to him by faith. No matter your background, your age, your race, your sex, whatever ideologies you have politically, like Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. And 
And so as we think about seeing those around us, are people, do you just view people as a problem? Like, are they just a problem for you getting to where you want to go with Jesus? Do we view people as just a means to whatever end we have for them? Or, like Jesus does, do we view people as those who are capable of being in relationship with the God who loves them and made them and wants to know them? Because if that's how we view people, if we see God rightly and we see ourselves rightly in light of that, we'll start seeing other people rightly. Everyone in this room, if you're in Christ, you've got people around you who desperately need to hear Jesus. They are sitting on the roadside begging. And they are just waiting for someone to come along who would love them enough and love God enough to share the good news with them. Who are those people in your life? Who are the people in your life that you know need Jesus? God has specifically put you there to share the gospel with them. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had some meetings up in Columbia for the state convention, and I'll just be real honest, I didn't want to go, okay? Um, it's November, we've been out of the office like all month, it seems like, and I needed to get a lot of work done, but I decided to go, and I rode up with Cody, and we had some really good conversations on the way up there, so I was really thankful for that, but we were at the meeting, and it was just not great, <laughs> And so we were leaving, and I was just kind of questioning, like, why did I come to this today? What was the point of this? And so we're leaving the meeting, and Cody needed to stop in Columbia and get some gas. And as we get out of the car, I see this woman, and she's holding a baby, and she's got a little girl with her. And she clearly has a flat tire. And so I, I just kind of prayed in my head. I said, God, if you would have us intervene here, allow us to do that. And so I walk in. I get something to drink. As I'm walking out, the husband walks up to me. He said, hey, brothers, in broken English, he said, hey, brother, we, we really need some help. And I knew I needed the help, and I knew I, I did. I wanted the help in that instance, right? So he was a Romanian refugee, and so Cody and I, we try to really do everything we think we can in that moment to help him. His spare tire was shredded up. The good tire that he had had a leak in the valve stem, so we couldn't plug it or do anything. We're just trying to figure out, like, what can we do? So I'm pulling up, you know, tire shops, repairs, get them towed, whatever it may be. And here's the deal. In that moment, I thought, well, I've done all I needed to do. I did the good Christian thing and I gave it a try. But what I wanted to do was go home and see my wife and kids. What I wanted was to get Cody home so he could go see his pregnant wife because we had to go to sleep to come back up to Columbia the next day. And he's, the guy was begging me for help. And right as I was about to decide to get in that car and go home and leave them there, because I tried, the Spirit of God impressed on me the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan went to great lengths. He gave up all kinds of stuff to help those who were in need. And moreover, Jesus Christ has gone to great lengths to bring me into relationship with him. So in that moment, you know how much conviction I felt that my wants are not in desires of my needs? Like, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and I'm a pastor at a church, and I'm supposed to be all about this mission thing, but when push came to shove, my sin wanted to get in the way. But when the Spirit did that, because God is so faithful, I could not ignore it. So I looked at Cody and I said, hey, brother, we've got to help these people. 
Cody's a good Christian guy, so he's like, yeah, I'm on board. <laughs> so we take, we take the tire. We go to the tire shop. I paid more money to get it replaced than I was planning on. And Cody asked me, he said, he said, how are we going to share the gospel with them? Because they didn't speak much English. And so we go back, we get the tire on the car, and we help him do all that. And he was so thankful. And I, so I pulled up a Three Circles video in Romanian, and I showed it to him. And he listened to it, and he was tracking with it. He was tracking with it. And we got done. I said, brother, do you believe that? He said, yes. He's like, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's like, I'm a Christian. My wife's a Christian. So we were able to pray with him. And I was just able to share with him, like, why we did this for him today. Now, I don't tell you that story for you to look at me and be like, oh, that's great. You did a good thing. No, I actually share that with you to know that, hey, I struggle with my wants and my needs coming into alignment with one another. But as we see Jesus rightly, we're going to see those around us who really need Jesus and are begging for someone to help them. All week, verse 41 has been on my mind. Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And that's the question I want us to think about as we wrap up our time together. What is it that you want Jesus to do for you? Because Bartimaeus understood Jesus rightly in this text, but the disciples, they're still going to struggle because that was the plan. And once, the, once Jesus is crucified and buried and rose again, and he ascends into heaven, he sends the promised spirit to them. And for the first time in their lives, they understand everything that Jesus was talking about. Their wants and needs come into alignment with one another, and they are willing to be mocked and beaten and scorned in prison and ultimately martyred for following Jesus Christ. Because they realized for the first time in their lives that Jesus was what they both wanted and needed. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. And so I ask you this morning, what is it that you want Jesus to do for you? Do you want hope? You need Jesus. Do you want grace this morning? You need Jesus. Do you want peace? You need Jesus. Do you want your marriage to make sense? You need Jesus. Do you want your future to make sense? You need Jesus. Whatever it is that you want, Jesus is what you need. And once we realize that Jesus is both what, both what we need, he becomes what we want, and life makes a lot more sense once we start to see him rightly. As the band comes up, I seriously want you to consider, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? Do you see a miracle worker? Do you see a good teacher? Or do you see the one who's the son of man, who's seated on the throne, the son of David, who's gonna rule forever, and the son of God who loves you more than you will ever know? For the believer in this room, the reality is that you don't always want what you need, but to fight that, we have to trust in the work of God and fight the desires of the flesh. We also need to see Jesus rightly. We need to see our need for Jesus and see those around us who need Jesus. If you're a non-believer in the room, I plead with you, today can be the day of salvation for you. Jesus is walking by and I want you to see that your life will make sense with him and him alone. He is the God of the universe who loves you more than you will ever know. If you wanna know how you can start a relationship with Christ this morning, please come down front, talk to me. You can make your way to one of the crosses in the back. Someone will be happy to talk with you. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, but you just haven't been seeing him rightly, 
I ask that you would repent of that and move forward in faithful holiness and obedience to God. The band, they're gonna play. I'll be down front. Feel free to come talk to me. Let us pray. We'll continue to worship together. Father, we love you and praise you. We're so thankful for Christ. We're so thankful for your spirit, God. We're so thankful for the gift of the gospel. I just pray this morning that Jesus would be what we want and what we need, God. It is the people of God. It wouldn't be the things of the world, but it would be Jesus. And we confess, God, that we need you and we want you, God. And we look forward and long for the day that we get to see Jesus face to face and and what we both need and want will be right in front of our eyes. Until then, I pray that we would move forward in faithful obedience as we serve on your mission, God. We love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.